All right, ready? Yeah, I opened the cook. Okay, cool. Hola, ¿cómo estás? Welcome to another episode of Tequila High Club. I am super pumped today because one of my best mates, who's an amazing DJ, absolute creative, is on the show. But then also, we're going to be listening to the story of this certain tequila where this is actually founded from the flow, from the essence of the independence of Mexico. And I can't wait to actually talk about that. But further ado, let's welcome my first special guest, Brody. How are you, my man? Amazing, man. How are you? I'm very well, mate. I'm so glad that you're here. Yeah. It's cool to be able to party with you and and have you in here and we get to talk about everything that you're doing because I know you have a lot of things going on. So for sure. How are you with tequila? Good. I mean, uh, I drink a lot of it given the nature of the industry I'm in. Um, wasn't always a huge tequila guy, but just in these these recent few years, I feel like Tequila's kind of became the thing, especially in nightlife. So, I mean, I'm around it a few times a week for sure, minimum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Last show I had with Bisso, you're the reason why we're so hungover. Yeah. <laughs> Tuesday night. Tuesday yeah. night, let's go. Yeah. Um, so, what we're going to go through now is we're going to, as always, we're going to educate on this tequila. So, this tequila is a little bit different. Usually, I go straight into, we taste it, we smell the aroma. This bottle's different. I mentioned it earlier. What I'd like for you to do, Brody, is take this and I want you to do it. describe to me what you see on the actual label. Yeah, so more detail than I usually see uh, on a tequila bottle label. Looks like some crazy guy skeleton running around on a rooster going to war with some other people. Just looks like mayhem, to be honest. <laughs> kind of crazy, but it's intriguing. And um, I can't say I, I drink this tequila a lot, but of all the, the branding and labeling I see on tequilas, this one... It always stands out. Like, it just looks like a cool bottle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So saying that, let's um let's have a sip. And I'm going to explain to you exactly what this picture means and why this bottle is actually so special. So okay. let's just have a taste. Cheers. Smell the aromas. What do you smell? For starters. I mean, tequila. <laughs> I'll be straight up. By no means am I like a alcohol... Uh, savant or I, I I can't sit here and say that I like I'm a connoisseur mm -hmm. uh, but um, smells okay you smell like a, a citrus feel I know you mentioned it that, a lot to be honest this, this is probably the first time where I've taken my time to sip mm -hmm. a tequila in this context like see this is the interesting thing this is why I feel that this show is so important because so many people I mean when we're at like Miss Fish or She's With Us and every other party, we just like smashing down drinks, right? That's it. And no one actually gets to understand that it's actually a delicious drink. And then what do you taste? Man, to my surprise, way smoother than I would expect. Mm -hmm. Like normally you take a shot of tequila and you're like, you make the face. Yeah. It's like cringy and all that type of shit. Uh, not with this one at all. Mm -hmm. Why? Okay, so the taste that we have here is, it's like a sweet, it's very sweet agave. So that's why it's so smooth. Mm -hmm. Okay. The interesting thing is that this isn't aged. So it's not aged in barrels. Okay. So usually tequila is aged in barrels and that's where you get like the smoothness for. So the way they've distilled this is amazing. But then they've also added in, uh, like when you are smelling the, the citrus, mm -hmm. so they put like a lemon zest through it and some tropical fruit. Cool. So that's the smell. And then also they've added in for extra is had take another little taste. 
kick back. They've got a little bit of um, pepper pudding, vanilla bean. And to my surprise, when I found this out, I didn't realize they've also put grilled pi- um, pineapple into it. Wow. So it's like a whole mix that... I mean, I don't know if it's placebo effect, but like as you were describing it, I'm like, okay, I, there's a little vanilla in there. Like it's like I was like mentally like going through the journey. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like tequila is kind of like a, a hot girl, right? Uh. You don't necessarily like see the red flags immediately. Yeah. But after hanging out and spending a little bit of time consuming. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then you notice the red flag. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then you're too far in it to do. Yeah. And then they are. Oh, might as well have one bottle. <laughs> love it, love it. Nice. So now getting into like what this actually represents, okay? So it's the rooster. The rooster means redemption and forgiveness. And so in Mexico, this is kind of like an unofficial um, big uh, symbol- symbolic meaning because this is tied into the whole independence of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Now, El uh, Espelon has got this guy, the, the skull, which is what they call Ramon. And Ramon... He is basically like echoing um, the call for all the rebels to come together within, you're right, it looks like chaos. So they're getting with all the chaos so that they can actually create a new way of life. They're going through and they're like basically going to war and they have to go through all this crazy shit to become something new. To establish Anarchy, rebel yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah, I got you. So Ramon, um, Ramon represents a guy called uh, Miguel Hidalgo. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's considered to be the father of nation of Mexico. Okay, so when Mexico was inhabited by the Spanish, you know they, they overruled them and they basically created made um, New Spain, which is Mexico. They just like treated the indigenous people terribly. Like there was a drought in uh, 2000, um, sorry, not yet. <laughs> there was a drought in 1807 to I think 1808. And the Spanish were withholding all like the extra, um, like vital uh, nutrients and, and resources, resources and stuff like that. But then p- upselling them to the indigenous people, right? So all this stuff was happening and they were just like, basically killing off and just making all the indigenous people extremely poor. Ah. Then this guy comes along, Miguel Hidalgo, and then he was a priest. And then he um, wrote something called the Cry of Dolores, which it was a huge statement in uh, the 16th of September, uh, 1810. And so 16th of September is regarded as the day of independence of Mexico. And so what he did is he started doing what um, Ramon looks like he's doing in in a world of chaos he started creating chaos and he started getting people the indigenous he's not indigenous himself he actually came from Spain mm. but he was so in love where he tried to help everyone um, in you know New Spain Mexico to live better lives but it got to such a point where he's like nah we got to abolish this slavery we got to take a new route and obviously, when you have the royals of Spain coming into, you know, saying, well, shut your mouth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He then started going on this big quest and started getting rebels, you know, other indigenous people among them. His other, he was very influential with a lot of um, the Spanish uh, higher ups as well. He came in. Okay. And then he just went on this big journey, started getting, you know, more um, infantry and started rebelling. And this went on for a number of years and they ended up getting defeated. Uh, but then as the years went on, um, he was executed. He was, um, he was caught, executed like a few years later. 
Um, but all of this raveled up into 1921 where eventually they, um, they had like the independence. Yeah. So there was actually, uh, there was two things that happened. People weren't sure if they should do 16th of September as the independence day or this, this time in 1921. And they decided that, um, Hidalgo, uh, um, Hidalgo was actually the, the fire of the nation. Here's the reason why this movement happened. Here's the reason why slavery was abolished. And so... Um, El Espelon basically has Ramon to reflect that and really pour out, you know, the heart and soul um, of the Mexican um, independence. Wow, dude. So that's when you're drinking this. This is like the the creator of this company and this tequila. Um, rest in peace now. Uh, it started in 1996, but that was the essence. Wow. And this is a beautiful thing about tequila is you can't do tequila anywhere else in the world. And every single company comes from a true essence of Mexico. So it's not just like have a shot and let's get drunk. It's like, wow, let's appreciate that a lot of heart and soul went into this and that just makes it taste a little bit more better. Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think I'll ever experience tequila the same after this episode. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. I always find it so interesting, um, inspiring, obviously, uh, when you hear these stories of people that just um they're so passionate about something you know albeit something as extreme as like saving people's lives or committing to a passion or whatever that uh just stake their very life existence on it i think it's wild to me yeah thinking about life or death like but it's like thinking about death it's like i'm so passionate to do this right yeah and i'm probably going to die but it's for the greater good yeah like how many people live their lives like that very few and far between. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, give me your thoughts out of 10 after sipping on that. Like what's, what's out of 10, what would you rate this? I mean, like I said, I've, I've never taken the time to drink tequila like this. Mm-hmm. So it's a new experience. The experience itself, I would say is 11 out of 10, just cause it's so cool. Even mm-hmm. this early in the episode. Um, when I think of tequilas, I like, I mean, we drink a lot of Azul, a lot of Don Julio. I go back and forth between what I like. Normally, Azul's the one I go for. I find it the smoothest when I'm drinking it in like a party context. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I mean, again, because it's the first time drinking it like this, I mean, it's just without thinking about it too much, maybe like 8.5. Nice, man. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So the um, so let's have a shot. And when we're going to have this shot, we're going to start talking about the story of Brody. But the last thing I haven't mentioned about this tequila mm. is something you would really appreciate. So let's have a shot and then I'm going to tell you exactly what this is. Sick. Actually, no, you know what? I'm going to tell you before we have the shot because it will make, make, um, it'll just be way more, um, exciting to you. Yeah. So you're a musician, right? Yeah. So how they ferment the yeast for this company, they play, they so that, you know, in, in big yeast barrels, they have big distilleries there. Mm-hmm. They play classical music to the yeast in their factory. Bro, I love to hear this stuff. Yeah. Sometimes it gets a little woo-woo for people. They don't believe yeah. necessarily necessarily in energy and frequencies and they're not so deep spirituality necessarily, but I mean, I believe in it, Yeah, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it has a direct impact on mm-hmm. as it turns out. Yeah. So cheers to that. Cheers, cheers to music. Yeah, man. Amazing. Okie dokie. All right, man. Now I'm going to pour my favorite orange and tequila. That's all I drink when I'm out. Yeah. Apart from the shots. Okay. While I'm doing this, tell me who Brody is and, and what's like, what's your, in short, what's your story? 
Yeah. So, I mean, uh, like a lot of people, certainly it's a, a loaded question. Um, I tell people all the time, like I've, there's so many chapters and I've walked the lives of many different people with tons of different careers and all that type of stuff. But the long and short of it, uh, I'm born in Toronto, Canada. I reside now in Bali. Grateful for that. Uh, I'm a DJ and producer, um, a music producer. And then uh, in the last year, I've become an event producer. And those are really my focuses now. Um, I come from, again, a background of many different careers, like super diverse to say the least. I uh, spent the last six, seven years in digital marketing, solopreneur, freelancer, uh, helping people manage their social media, branding, um, email marketing, you know, online marketing, there's a lot of layers to it, but I'm, I'm pretty well versed in a lot of it. Um, but for me, during COVID, all that time alone, I had a lot of time to go inwards. And I, interestingly enough, I had a month where it was the best month I had financially and I found myself sitting in my condo downtown Toronto saying, okay, I've done well financially, but is, is this it? I, I just felt like life was still kind of blah. And I'm one of those people that I'm sure a lot could relate that carried, I use, I use the analogy, carried my passion around in my back pocket, always thinking about it. It's always with me, always treated as a side hobby. So I was in and out of music my whole life. I used to do rap and hip hop, making rap songs in the basement of my parents' house at like 16 took it seriously, doing a lot of shows, putting out mixtapes up until like 23 years old, got into fitness, was a trainer, all in my 20s, into my late into my late 20s, got into fashion modeling, traveled a bit doing that, but always the whole time thinking about what do I really want to do. So um, again, after modeling, fell into online marketing, had this epiphany during COVID, what do I really want to do? Had a friend at the time that just basically said, dude, like I'm looking at your content online, you post a video of you DJing, and then you got a video talking about like e-commerce, like what the fuck are you doing kind of thing. And I was like, dude, it makes so much sense because I couldn't seem to break through in music because if somebody wanted to book me, they come to my profile and see he kind of does music. And then somebody wants to book me as a marketer, they come to my profile and see he's a marketer, but he seems like he's like still doing some music shit. Like what's this guy really about? Mm -hmm. So anyways, long-winded answer. I decided in COVID I want to take music seriously, do it full time and did that. And then um, just the universe, divine intervention, things coming into alignment, had some key people out here in Bali already that basically said, come out here, see if you like it, stay a month, I'll put you up, get you some gigs. Um, and if you like it, stay, if you don't go back to Toronto. Intuitively, I knew I was done with the city. No disrespect to Toronto, it's my home and everything, but just knew I wanted a fresh start. And it's not the first time I've kind of like pulled the trigger and moved somewhere blindly just with my bags and, and, and gone. Mm -hmm. So... I just said, fuck it, like, let's go. Packed my bags, booked a one-way and came out here. And just right away, Bali felt at home. And sure enough, like, I'm not going to say like it's just been like a breeze being here the last year and a half. There's been ups and downs, but there's been certainly more ups. And like things are rolling, got a great business partner, some great people in my life right now, and just pushing and building everything we're doing right now. But definitely, I would say more or less doing what I want to do on a full-time basis, which is a huge achievement for me, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, certainly there's like financial uh, benchmarks I want to hit and, and success benchmarks, if you will. Uh, but I mean, to wake up every day, say that you you love what you do and you're, you're doing it for a living, like that's, that shit's priceless right there. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a brilliant intro, bro. Yeah. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> and so it begins. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go. Oh, man. So I want to um, 
just quickly, I just want to laugh at like the first time you and me kind of like connected before I really want to go back into like your love for music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the, the, this great, by the way. It's super nice. It's delicious, this right? Pour a drink for sure. What I remember when, um, so I brought a couple of um, chicks to uh, no, I remember. the downstairs. What was it called? Ginger. G- to Ginger. And I came to see Drew and I was like, yo, I'm coming through. Yeah. And then this is the first time I'd seen you DJ and you were playing like just the best music. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Mm. And just like your vibes were sick. Yeah. And then, and this is what, cause this was Halloween. And so Drew was dressed up like crazy. Oh yeah. And, and, and then, and then Drew goes behind the DJ deck. Yeah. And then, because I've seen him post about you before, and yeah. it's like, oh, this is Brody. Yeah. And then I see Drew just blacked out drunk. Yeah. Pretending to like mix and change like yeah, yeah, yeah. music knob. And I was filming and I'm like, oh my God, this is the most funniest shit ever. <laughs> and then you put it up and I, t- and I messaged you about it. I was yeah. like, bro, that was the funniest shit. Here's seeing him fake DJ. And then I think you and me like laughed at each other about it. Yeah. And then we got to like meet and hang out. And I think that's when we've become like bros since then. Yeah. And that was just like, but it's it's just funny how that all started. Oh, for sure. I I couldn't remember at first. You're like, what? You're about to tell the story when we connect us. Was it? Because obviously there's so many blackout nights. But yeah, I remember the vibes were really good in Genja. And then I think I had seen you before, uh, not in person, but just online. Again, people tagging each other, stuff like that. I saw your profile, clean. Good looking dude, making things happen. You were verified also at the time when verification actually was legit that yeah. actually mattered. <laughs> Fuck. Um, but uh, yeah, people yeah. were like, oh, how much did you pay? I'm like, I didn't pay, bro. <laughs> I hate that question. I tried to find, I was like, can I, re- can I remove my verification now? Yeah. Like, I don't care. I don't think it really ever really mattered, to be honest. If you're really? creating, if you're creating good shit, like mm-hmm. that's all that matters. Agree. I don't give a shit about my. Well, now I care about my social media because of the podcast, yeah, and the talk show, of course. But before that, I just kind of like. I'm very similar to you on your lifestyle, on your like life journey, right? Because mm-hmm. I've done the same thing. Like I used to DJ. De- I started DJing um, when I was 18. Yeah. My friends were were DJs, and they taught me. But I was always a hip hop guy. So they taught me the basics and then I started DJing all the hip hop at all our parties. And then I got into house music and stuff like that. And I just really felt a crazy passion for that. And I've always loved it, you know? Mm-hmm. So like I've been DJing for a long time, but never took it seriously. Tried to take it seriously. And then mm-hmm. business got involved again, you know, financials. And and now I'm hoping that I can kind of follow now what you're doing. It's going to take me a little bit longer because mm-hmm. of some other things I've got going on. But let's let's go back. Like, I want to go back to like when you were younger, you were in rap, you were in music, like you found like a serious music career really before, yeah. way, way before me. So where did you find, where did you find that? Was it just Toronto was presenting rap and you were just falling in love with it? How did you sort of figure out you had a talent for rap? Like how did that go? And you, cause you're an amazing producer. So how did that all come about? Man. So, uh, basically my mom was a piano teacher. So all throughout my childhood, we had parents and kids sitting in the front foyer of our house waiting for their kids to be taught piano. Mm. And naturally, by default, I'm forced to be a kid that, that plays piano. Uh, endlessly grateful to my mom for putting me in that because they say when you know how to play piano, you know how to play anything. You know everything, anything about music. It's really like a key instrument uh, in the musical space. Uh, 
So there was that. And then my- Can you explain what that actually means though? Does that mean, because when you're pressing different keys, you can hear it and you are pressing a key. Whereas if you're playing guitar, you're kind of like, you're in a key. Yeah. Like, is that, is that kind of like you can hear it? Great, great question. I don't even know what the answer is specifically. Uh, it just made sense to me when I heard it. Okay. Uh, but uh, all I can say is from personal experience, having played the piano for so many years, when I went and uh, went to different instruments, uh, music theory and understanding rhythm and things like that made more sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I played piano from age four till about 16. Uh, my pops was in a band for many years. Uh, and he played guitar at the time when he was in a band. So I ended up playing guitar for six or seven years, trumpet for three or four years. And then just music, like a lot of people, I guess, was, or maybe not a lot of people, I don't know, um, was just a huge thing in the household. Growing up, hearing a lot of Bob Marley, um, Tony Braxton, uh, Barry White, Michael Jackson, all that kind of stuff. So urban music, let's call it, had a heavy presence in the household. Um, but in terms of rap and hip hop, I, I would have never guessed it. But so, so basically, I'm, I'm born in Toronto, but I grew up in an extremely small suburban town called Grimsby, which is like an hour or so and change outside of Toronto. Mm -hmm. Super small, totally lack cultural diversity. Um, and there was like four, three or four black people in that town at the time, one being my father. <laughs> so uh, I ended up connecting with another kid who was black uh, who was heavy into hip hop during school. And, uh, he put me onto hip hop and rap. But prior to that, actually, now that I'm, I'm I haven't told this story in a while, so I'm just kind of like digging in the crates. Take your time, bro. Yeah. So there was one moment in grade eight where a grade eight dance was happening and I walked in and I was in, I think grade seven or six at the time. And there was some older kids and they put on like the ghetto blaster at the time. <laughs> it was CDs though. CDs. There was actually CDs at that time. Not that old. Uh, they put on like Rough Riders Volume One. Yeah, and I was like, "What the fuck is this shit?" Oh, like just like some serious rap, like DMX, Swiss Beats, all of these guys, and that was that was my introduction to hip hop music. Started listening to it a lot, but then connected with this other kid I mentioned earlier, Sean. Forget his last name, and he at the time was like recording actual hip hop songs, and that's what uh, introduced me and exposed me to it, and. I totally give credit to uh, having learned piano and playing all these different instruments and the exposure to music from my folks. Um, that putting me in a position to emulate what I saw him doing uh, rhythmically and vocally uh, with hip hop and stuff. So he was really the, the catalyst that brought me into the hip hop culture as a performer and artist. And for whatever reason, man, I, w I guess from listening to so much music and again, all the... Uh, uh, the background uh, playing music, I was able to comprehend how to write lyrics and how to deliver vocally qu pretty quickly. And that led on to like a small production deal when I was like 16 years old because I was under 18. My parents had to sign off with a production company in Ontario and Canada, put out some projects, did a whole bunch of shows. Um, and that started the musical journey all throughout high school into my early 20s. And then like many people, I think when they start a musical journey, um, shit gets hard and shit gets real really fast. I mean, it's not easy to make it. Uh, it's not easy to generate income from your desire and passion to make music. So I had I had a lot of issues with 
uh, working traditional jobs and structuring myself uh, personally and professionally to put myself in a position to fund my career. Um, so music fell by the wayside. Mm -hmm. And then that's what started my journey into fitness and everything else to what I would say distract me essentially from what I really wanted to do ultimately. Well, yeah, yeah. It's a, um, I just, that's the thing. This again, this is one I love the show. I'm having like my mates come on here and I knew shit about you. Yeah. But like in that context, man, that's insane. Yeah. Like I, you have a, and this is the reason why I think like when you do like, like the remixes that you've been throwing out in the last like six months, mm -hmm. they're just like on point. Like the Drake one, you, you, I think you've done like a couple of Drake. There's a couple of Drake ones, couple, yeah. But that first Drake one you put out, I was like, yeah. this guy. <laughs> this motherfucker's good. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. So that's, um, do you think that plays a, a big part in producing music on having a background like yourself and playing piano? Do you think you could be a successful producer? Okay, let me re rephrase that question. Mm -hmm. Reframe. Could you be successful if you have an ear, but what's the amount of people who can actually be a good, produ good producer that actually just have an ear but can't play instruments? Yeah, great question. That minority, do you reckon? Uh, I feel like these days it's gotten so easy, and I won't lie, I, I definitely leverage the tools that are out there to make production more easier. But I would say if you sat someone down in a room that had no production experience, like using Ableton, for example, mm. uh, but had a musical background, and then you had someone sit down that had no musical background, but just sitting with Ableton, you put us both side by side, I'm quite sure I would I, I put pretty much all I got on the line that the person with the musical background could move uh, exponentially quicker mm -hmm. developing something than somebody with no musical background. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a huge, a huge asset because again, there's all these tools out there that you can say like, Hey, I want to make a song in C minor. Uh, I need chord progressions. And like, there's like a plugin that will spit out an original chord progression that you can plug in. Mm -hmm. And even some of these, these remixes and reworks I'm doing these days, they're like, the majority is like sample based, to be honest, they're coming out great. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's become a lot easier to become a music producer these days than it was before. Um, but again, a musical background is, is just a huge asset because, you know, I'm, I can confidently say that the way like I throw together mixes these days, um, the musical background is a huge asset versus someone like, I mean, there's even something in DJing called harmonic mixing, you know? So um, if, if you have a song that's in C minor, um, a, lot, a lot of people will just put good songs together and it works. But there's something subliminally. Can you can you dumb that down for me? Yeah, C minor. What is that? And like, what does that sound like? So going into that harmonical um hum, harmony. Yeah. So basically, you can imagine on the piano, you got like all these keys, right? Like C to C, and then everything between C D E F G A B C, right? So for example, if you want to DJ and you have a good song in C and a good song in F, you can put them together and like you can play, and no one's gonna be like, hey man, that's out of key. Mm. It's not gonna sound good. But I'm telling you right now, if if you play a song and there's a scale goes C to C, right? So if you play a song in C and then a song in, in D and a song in E and a song in F and you climb this harmonic scale and you take people on this sonic journey. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the thing is, you have to do that whilst not compromising how good the song is that's coming in next. And, and again, by no means do you have to follow this at all. But because of my musical background, 
knowing this, I feel, I feel the journey I take people on. Mm -hmm. And I know they do too. They may not know it because they have no musical background. And again, if you, you, you could play 10 bangers in a row, and don't get me wrong, even me myself, knowing this, I'll go crazy too. But if you play them all in a harmonic order, it makes a difference, whether you know it or not. And I think that, that right now, I just gave a gem. Maybe some DJs are going to go bootlegged. <laughs> I don't know. I'll bless the people. It's all good. But I know for a fact that um, that experience, that knowledge, that wisdom, that all pays uh, a tribute to the way I'm able to deliver when I perform. So let's let's think of it. I think I want to dive into that on the result for a person when they're in the audience because 100%, if you pay 10 fucking bangers, you're going to be like, yeah. Yeah. But does your dopamine level then get too worn out and then you're kind of like, is you taking the time and stepping back and be able to take you on this journey mm -hmm. actually better for the crowd? And does that make them remember you a lot more and fall in love with the music more? Because, I mean, you can fall in love with, like, I mean, you look at commercial DJs, right? Mm -hmm. They go out, play bangers, um, you know, and everyone's like, yeah, cool. But what I would like to understand is that if you take someone, the audience, mm -hmm. whether they're in front of you, or you've got a you've got a playlist on I'm uh, not a playlist a uh, mixtape on um, Spotify. Mm -hmm. If you took them through this nice journey, right? Mm -hmm. Overall, long term, would you build a better uh, relationship with your listeners than just playing hardcore bangers the whole time? Man, the the biased, selfish question is, or sorry, answer is is yes. Um, again, it's, it's super subjective. It depends on mood, how everybody's feeling, that kind of thing. Cause again, like even me, myself, like if, if I go in here a DJ and he doesn't mix anything harmonically, but it's a great set, like that's cool to me, you know? But I think there's, I don't know, there's, what, what can I say? I mean, it's, it's, again, it's subjective, but I, I just, I see a lot of value and I've, I've felt it. I felt it intuitively that people know. I took them somewhere without them even really knowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to me that's that's cool. It kind of gives me I feel it gives me a bit of an edge, um, and it's it's quite rewarding, you know, because I think I always respect the DJ that knows his music music catalog so well that he can go to a set um, unprepared, so to speak, like nothing mapped out at all. Mm -hmm. But for me, I notice a huge difference, and I, I do it myself sometimes. Uh, but the sets that I'm preparing a week ahead, like key songs I want to play, organizing them harmonically. Mm -hmm. The result of that is fucking awesome, bro. Mm -hmm. I can even attest, I couldn't even prove that the nights I know I've done that have translated uh, better uh, financially. Like this, it's been a more profitable night mm -hmm. when I've really put some time into my sets. And and don't get me wrong, I've I've only really been doing this DJing specifically for less than four years. So perhaps uh, in five, ten years, God willing, I get there. I know my catalog so deep, I don't have to prepare anything. But I even think in that time, I would still want to take the time to think about what's the venue, what's the occasion, what's the time of day, what's the type of people I can expect, <laughs> and curate something to a degree. More or less, like, I'll, I'll never go to a set. I've done it before, years ago, when I first started, where every song is organized completely. Mm -hmm. But I'll have a structure. 
I'll hear a song and I'll know this is a 2 a.m. song. I'll hear a song. I know it's a 9.30 p.m. warming up at Miss Fish song. Yeah. I, like I, I'm, I'm super conscious of that kind of stuff, but um, I always like to allocate some time and as much time as possible, actually, especially these days, just because I feel like I'm getting momentum and I want more and more people to like really hear and appreciate what I'm doing, that the more time I can put into a set uh, prior to playing uh, is, is amazing. I, That's it. Yeah. I love that. Uh, quick time out, guys. Has, um, his, is Brody's mic okay? Yeah. So probably it's, it's still okay. It's, okay. Why well, is it drifting a bit? It's falling down. No, because I can't see your um. Oh, oh it's underneath. It. Okay, cool. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So um, just throw it on me because then I'm gonna ask so we can cut that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Shit. And man, can I just interject quickly? Uh, I just want to acknowledge you for doing this i don't think enough people do it and i know based on the convo we had prior to the podcast or the show talk show <laughs> uh that you're gonna do it right and you're gonna do it great and more people need to do it and i'm at a point now too where i've started and stopped on social media so many times and i know we all do and we're all guilty of it it's not an easy uh -huh. an easy uh mountain to climb but uh even just this setup and this experience alone talking about this stuff has like unlocked something for me, inspired me a bit mm -hmm. because, you know, as we're throwing more parties, as, you know, there's more chaos in our lives, you know, I'm, I'm going through the motions and showing up and doing what I have to do, but I know there's another level of commitment and time to allocate to what I'm doing. So again, I just want to acknowledge you and say thank you because this moment here has just like reminded me, mm -hmm. you know, get back to what matters most because putting the time into the key things is going to make everything better. I, I thanks, thanks for that, bro. Yeah, my man, for sure. Um, I think like, I think that's a good point though, that we could talk about because a lot of people get overwhelmed with, uh, having a goal, uh, and, and kind of what, what matters to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and people think they don't have enough time and what I've learned. Uh, so remember when COVID, when I wasn't drinking and I, I took 12 months off at, I think it was like 12, 13 months, I think actually. Fuck, you not nothing? Yeah, in, in Bali, bro. You know, where I was going out parties, taking mushrooms and stuff like that. Yeah. But like, no alcohol, bro. But I was able to get to such a clarity where I would be up at 4.30 in the morning mm -hmm. and then I'm going to bed at like, you know, nine, whatever. But what I realized is people who say they don't have enough time, they make excuses. And I'm like, what time are you getting up? Mm -hmm. And what are you doing on a month, like month on month basis? Mm -hmm. like, are you taking time out for yourself? No. Are you taking time to wake up a little bit earlier? Mm -hmm. Half an hour is all you need to do. If you get up at seven like, to get to work, get up at 6.30. And I'll tell you what, that half an hour every single day, you can change your life. Right. Because you're putting, the, you're putting yourself first. Yeah. And so what you just said then, um, it's very important that things to us are very important, right? But we're just, everyone's so scared or like feel they don't have time or the money to do it. Mm -hmm. But if you took that just half an hour a day to plan it, yeah, you know, yeah, then you can be like, okay, well, I'm going to sit down and have no distractions and go, okay, what would it actually take for me to achieve this? Yeah. What would it do? Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, I kind of look at everything. I, I'm honestly, like, I don't go full spiritual, but like, I honestly think if you know exactly where you want to be, mm -hmm. things are happening for you in a certain reason. So, for example, my homie who I originally had this set up in his studio, 
he messaged me and he's like, Hey, I'm actually like leaving the studio. Like I've got to get your stuff out. I was like, okay, cool. And then I had this downstairs and you've seen like our villa, right? Yeah. Sick. Man. And I'm like, where, where, where are we going to put it? This table over here was here. We do this for like our other business. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to set this up here. I'm going to do it. We, we had a great, um, episode and then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to smash it out. And I spend that time to go, okay, not everything is perfect on how I want this set. Yeah. But I need to do it. I need to get started. I need to start running. And then I told you earlier when I had that, the second episode with Garrett, yeah. it got me so excited, man. Yeah. Because I learned so much more about my friend, you know, but then I learned so much more about myself and what is important to me. So the fact that we've had this talk show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you've just said that, bro. It makes me so much more excited because I believe that this isn't, you know, this is about educating tequila, but it's also about you. But it's like, can we both benefit just from talking, you know, an hour with each other? Can we become better people? Yeah. Can we influence everyone who's watching this? Like and subscribe. Um, <laughs> if, uh, like to just figure that shit out. Yeah, bro. That's it. And I mean, like, I mean, this is... I'm going to go into detail on one episode. I'm going to, my twin brother is going to come. Yeah. Uh, I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot you had a twin brother. Just wild. So wild. He, he's not in Bali, is he? In there. Okay. I'll explain later. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> but it's going to be Are a you little bit Blake? Because he's, he's, he's a bit of a cunt. So. Yeah. <laughs> but he's going he's gonna to interview me, bro. And, oh. and then, so then I get, everyone gets to really know about me and, I got some shit to say about my past that um, mm -hmm. people will find out like and they'll, you know, Google and it is what it is and mm -hmm. I have to explain the real fucking shit. Mm -hmm. um, but going back to you, uh, so that's amazing, dude. Like, I'm so glad that like, it's unlocked a little bit. Yeah. Which is cool. Huge. So how did it feel? How did, because the reason why I want to ask this question, everyone feels this. Mm -hmm. Everyone feels whether they want to admit it or not that they're not living to their potential and I just say this all the time. I don't want people getting to 60. I have this thing in my head. Someone, my, one of my mentors said this to me like when I was 24. He goes, do you or do you not want to be sitting on a rocking chair at the front of your house yeah. at 65, regretting every single thing that you could have done mm -hmm. by just doing something and just like taking, having some balls and doing it. Yeah. Like, is it, would your life dramatically change? What if? So how did you feel when you were going from, you know, the, the, um, the, your career with, uh, the production company yeah. and then moving into all these different things, getting into fitness and stuff like that. Was it mainly because it was a financial, um, like kind of pressure that you're like, Hey, I need to be serious about my life. I, you know, this isn't making me, you know, like sustainably, like financially being me stable. Like how is that feeling? when you're going through that journey. Yeah, man. I think it, uh, uh, it, it wasn't a cool feeling at all. I think it was like when I decided, like, I just have to kind of shelf this thing. Um, uh, I was early twenties, uh, after like five years of pushing it and I'm living at home. My folks were like, you know, like, what are you saying, man? Like, what are you doing, bro? Like, what's going on? Like, we're here. We got you kind of thing. We love you. And shout out to my parents. They're amazing. But it's like, what are you really doing? Are you moving forward? All this kind of stuff. So I was just like, I got to I got to pursue something else. So that was it. It, it, it didn't feel good. Um, but again, like for, for a lack of better phrasing, I felt like 
music continued uh, to haunt me uh, throughout my entire entire mm-hmm. life, bro. Mm-hmm. And it went from a haunt to a dream to a reality just really in like the last two, two, three years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's life, bro. And, you know, the analogy used about the rocking chair, there's one that came to mind where they said like, imagine you're like on your deathbed and the ghosts of all the dreams of you that you could, or the, the people you could have been, dreams, dreams you wanted to pursue, mm-hmm. like we're standing on your deathbed, like why? Like, why didn't you go for it? Why didn't you do it? Mm-hmm. And that, like, whatever I hear that, it, like, gives me, like, chills. That is fucking chills, man. That's crazy. It's it's real shit, though. And um, I think, too, like, I think I'm a, I'm a good example to, like, people, like, in their, let's say, 20s or whatever to, to, sh- to say, like, I'm in my late 30s now. But, like, you know, it's, it's never too late, but time is ticking. Time certainly is finite. Your youth, your vitality, your cognitive abilities, um, your, your physical abilities, all that stuff, like, it's, they're running out, you know, um, and I, I, I came up with this sort of analogy or, or philosophy uh, maybe like a year ago. And I thought, you know, life is going to be full of trials, tribulations, death, distress, all of the hard shit, regardless of what you do, regardless of what you pursue and commit your life to. So why not experience these adversities whilst pursuing something you enjoy? Mm-hmm. To give it some context, I would rather you know, just making up a, making up a situation. I would rather be stressed about making rent or providing food for myself while I'm pursuing something I'm passionate about, like out hustling, booking more gigs, making more music, rather than, you know, working a job I don't like or continuing to build a marketing business that I, I, I know I'm good at, but I don't really feel, you know? So again, you know, it's life's, life's full of choices and each choice has a consequence, good and bad. Um, I, I do, I do wish I had have decided to do this music thing more seriously earlier, but I mean, when I think of the nature of the music I'm doing now, like house music and production, like mm. I enjoy doing this way more than I enjoy writing raps. Like, <laughs> I like I can think of like shows do when I was like rapping and like doing this R and B stuff. And I was just like looking at the crowd. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like I'm going for it. I'm here. I'm committed. I'll always show up yeah. and do my shit. But the confidence I have when I play, the confidence I have when I share electronic music is, it's, I guess you could say, unprecedented. Like, you can't even compare, incomparable to how I feel, how I felt when I was doing, like, urban style music. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy what I do now. Do you know how I can tell that you enjoy DJing and, like, and producing music so much? I mean, if it was, if it was related to my dance movie... I wouldn't be surprised if you ever like if y'all ever like get to see this guy play live. Yeah, he's I've never seen anybody get the booty dance. Oh, the booty dance. Yeah, it's the oh, you get booty death, bro. I was like, I I when I saw that, I was like, I knew one of your parents were black, bro. Yeah, for was straight up, dude. Dude, that little fight, you got a little ghetto booty, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's it's crazy. I've never seen it before. Wow, I mean, I had no idea. I don't see. I, I know sometimes my head's right. And I, I sent the jury one night, and I was like. This is really this motherfucker loves what he loves doing what he does, bro, bro. And if if I can just add to that, something I wanted to make sure I mentioned on the show about like performing and music, why I love it so much is, I think all of us, you know, as as much as we want and desire to be as present as possible, um, we're constantly caught up in thinking about shit we did wrong or shit that happened before and whatever is going to happen ahead. And those have their benefits to think and feel like that for sure. But why I love what I do so much is when I know I'm playing a song and people are going so crazy, 
there's nothing else. I'm quite certain of it. The people that are right there going nuts, there's nothing they're thinking about but that moment. There's no way they're sweating someone passing away, God forbid, rent, whatever shit breaking up. There's no way they're stressing about, is the house going to sell? Is this deal going to go through? They're right there with me in that time. And that, from what I understand from gurus and what people say is, ultimately where you want to be is right here and now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not naive. People are out there turning up, getting lit, taking this, taking that for sure. But regardless, they're right there and they're right there with me now. And I'm the, the maestro of that shit. What an honor. What a duty. What a privilege, you know? I don't take it for granted. I really don't. I can give you an example where that is that whole statement is 100% correct. Yeah. When I was 19, uh, me, my best mate, actually, I just surfed with him yesterday. Hence, I haven't seen him for four years. I grew up with him. And we hadn't surfed for each other or with each other for like eight years. We're like, we're sitting down and he's got a family now. And we, we was like talking about all the like the fun times. But one time where like, that is correct. Like where you come into a party, the music is good. You forget about everything. Mm-hmm. This, is, <laughs> this is extremely apparent of how that is correct. I remember he had his like insurance coming out, which was like 400 bucks. Right. Um, and we were out on a Sunday, sir, in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is coming out tomorrow. And he looked at him. He's like, he looked around. He's like, this party, this music's so good. Fuck it. I'll just, um, I'll just like get a, like, uh, like a bank fee or something yeah. like that. And he pulled out the 400. Wow. Cause this is when we were apprentices, right? Right. And we was like on. He's like, nah, fuck it. I'm going to take 400 bucks out because I want to party here. Yeah. And so like he was living in the present, but still he put the environment and the emotions and the vibe yeah. ahead of, he's like, oh, screw it. I'll pay, I'll pay an extra $25 from a pain fee yeah, of like um, overdraw. Yeah, man. So that like, that's, and that's how people operate. When you, the maestro creates such an environment, it puts people in this trance, you know, it makes people happier. Yeah. And it's kind of cool, like, you know, when, like, music does that and, like, you know, this tequila company, mm. they, like, you know, put the music around the the yeast. Like, it's, like, all these different vibes are to, like, help people, lit, like, feel better. Like, I love it, bro. And I, I'm just thinking about, like, playing the devil's advocate. If somebody was to, like, argue that uh, playing classical music makes no difference to the frequency of how the tequila turns out. I mean, take, for example, if you're super stressed about something, and you sit there and you're working on your laptop and you put on a playlist of some like some hardcore metal shit, mm-hmm. right? And maybe you'll get through the work, whatever. You'll do what you have to do. You're an adult per se. But then if you put on a, a playlist of some classical music, I'm sure, I'm certain, bro, mm-hmm. that you're going to be more chill. Your mood, even if it comes down 10, 15, 20% maximum, that's still a positive effect. And that's still some sort of impact based on the frequency of music. Did you know that classical music actually makes you more focused? I had an idea about it. Oh my. Okay, well that just We're getting rowdy. That just happened. So rowdy on the social. So one of our um like uh our co-founders for um Ecta Real Estate, mm-hmm. he's um Chinese American, right? But he grew up playing the piano. Mm-hmm. His kids play the piano. Yeah. And every time like he'd come here and he'd be in um he'd be in one of the rooms and like so he sets up his office up there, right? he would come in and be playing this classical music. And I'm like, I'm like, why do you keep on playing this? Cause what I, when I, I can't one, I can't really work to music, but it's got to be kind of like chilled house. If I'm like kind of in a zone and I, yeah, I get it. I'm just like me. Yeah. 
But he's like, no, he's like research about classical music. Mm-hmm. Classical music puts you into a trance and it actually gets you into a super high focused um, uh, mood. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. And I'm like, okay, well, this makes sense, right? This is the reason why when... Tell me music doesn't make a person change because you go to a heavy metal thing and you got all those like virgins like like doing this shit, right? Yeah. And then you've got um, you know, people in house, like, but it's like different type of music. You'd have like you know, eat, you know, you go to EDC, right? More hardcore stuff. Oh man, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you go and you have Afro house, mm-hmm. early different vibe again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people move different. You have hip hop, you know, people two stepping everywhere, like yeah, night chicks are grinding, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, white guys are trying to battle, yeah, you know. <laughs> so like. Music just music changes the world, and I just love it how like you you spend so much time into trying to make everyone have a good time. Yeah. Now the the, the thing I do want to disagree with you on mm. is rewinding back when you said that you would be more happy about uh you know stressing about paying the rent or something like that because you're focusing on like your craft right on mm. on where you're going. Mm-hmm. I feel like there for people. For you, I think you've always made money. So you're kind of, you've built into yourself the, the, the ability where you're subliminally con, um, you know, uh, conscious about being able to make money. Like you're, you're yeah, confident. I'd agree. There's a lot of people in here who kind of throw away the idea and they either do two things. They either like completely throw away going, I don't have the time, money to do my p- passion, right? I see where you're going with this, yeah. And then, then someone does throw away their job like oh I'm going to go all in in this right Mm -hmm. but they don't actually have the talent or they don't have the business mindset which is also very hard very um, very important Mm -hmm. right great point wow so what I like to for people to think is like okay start off as a balance yeah never quit your job if you have a 9 to 5 job if you have a business that's growing don't quit it don't quit it yeah get your money into a good place because I'm telling you if you can then go and create and you don't have to worry about like paying the rent and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Then okay, that's okay. Because everyone freaks out that we don't have time. I know you said that like we're running out of time. Yes, running out of time if you're not taking action. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's okay. You can learn to do something and you can build something slowly over four years. And if you're good enough, it's going to eventually show. Yes. So that's the kind of point that I like to say as well is that Sometimes people freak the fuck out about that. You know, like just balance it out, you know, have a little balance. And then when you feel, hey, you got some money in the bank. Cool. And you're like, I got six months to like take this head on. Then boom, go. Mm -hmm. But don't put yourself under stress because then you're going to doubt yourself. You're you're not going to be as creative as you should. Yeah. Those little things. I've, I've had that, not from my experience, but like I've seen other people do this. Yeah. And I have like jumped from... Like, because my background is like just business building, right? And I've I've got rid of one to go and focus on something else. And it can put pressure on sometimes, you know? Yeah, and for sure. I I can't even argue that at all. Because what I think about, like, to uh, be super transparent. So I I had my marketing business for upwards of uh, six or seven years. Again, carrying music in my side pocket and, like, investing in equipment, um practicing DJing, all that stuff whilst maintaining my clients and servicing them. And then again, that epiphany happened towards the end of the second lockdown in Canada, which then opened up the opportunity to come to Bali and go all in with this. Mm. So I guess the situation was a a bit subjective. Um, So yeah, I would agree, actually. I would agree. Uh, 
I, I would have never, whilst pursuing a career in DJing, just said, fuck it, forget my clients, I'm not showing up for you, <laughs> and just start taking gigs mm. here and there kind of thing, because it would have taken a while. It was a process, yeah, for sure. Um, I guess just now, when I look at it and I look like how far I've come and how knee deep I am in this, um, I just couldn't imagine doing something else and experiencing uh, the adversities that are that you face when you're pursuing a career mm-hmm. in music kind of thing. You know, like I'm just like for me, like I'm I'm just at a point now, man. Maybe it sounds like a bit like uh, extreme or melodramatic, but like for me, it's like make it or die trying kind of thing. Like I just won't go back to anything else mm-hmm. at this point. Like I'm just all in yeah you know and for sure there's 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 been huge and and i will say to affirm the point that you countered me with um coming here i had a financial cushion i can carry myself and everything whilst being in in bali but there certainly were ups and downs of of uh beginning a journey as a dj you know i come here and i have a big reputation in toronto let's say uh, where i can book lots of consistent gigs but i don't have a huge catalog of music yet that I touched down in Bali and everybody knows me and wants to book me. So I was quite quite literally starting from ground zero here, booking gigs and just slowly building momentum. But I know things happened for me pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. And I was able to establish myself in the scene and start these parties we have and uh, and keep growing. Yeah, let's talk about those parties because they're yeah. phenomenal parties, man. Like it's literally the, the hottest Tuesday on the entire island. I think it's like one of the best parties absolutely on the entire island for sure. I would say so too. I yeah. would agree. Call me biased, but it's an it's a nice party, man. It's different because like it's it happens on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um and you can t- tell everyone about it, but like uh it's different for when that same venue has like a a Friday, Saturday. But I know you're changing it as well cuz you're doing Fridays there now. Um no, I haven't start, I haven't started Fridays there now. There's there's a whole bunch of stuff. You're just mixing, right? Yeah, I'm just yeah, playing. Okay, yeah. I'm playing to me. So the difference between what I've noticed on Friday, Saturdays, especially Friday late night, because mm-hmm. everyone comes from Morabito, mm-hmm. the it's one, it's extremely stupid packed. Like, yeah, you know, so that's one thing. But then there's also a shit ton of dudes who are just like out on the prowl. And what I've noticed that with your party, it's like all of us, well, not so much me. I mean, I was there last Tuesday, but the crew, the cool, but scene. the crew, right? Yeah. Like. It's um like everyone who knows everyone um goes there and then we like everyone invites the good people and there's usually yeah. always, you know, sixty percent girls. And now that's not like a, a token to be like, oh, like it's all about the girls. If you have more girls at a party everywhere in the world, it's a better vibe because you have less dudes cracking on. Yeah. There's less dudes making a mockery of themselves because mm. there's more there, right? Yeah. yeah. And actually if there's is like the parties I used to throw when I was younger. Um, we used to always make sure there was 60% girls minimum. Mm-hmm. I used to have parties where I was like 70% girls and 30% dudes. And the atmosphere was so amazing. And this is what you've done. Because if you have too many girls, guys actually are less creeps because there's so much around that they actually get a little bit, they stop actually approaching. Yeah. And so a bit of a fine line. It's weird. Yeah. And so if you can create something that allows that, it creates a way better energy. Mm-hmm. There's plenty to go around, right? And everyone has a way better time. Agree. So ex- explain to me, how did you guys come up with that concept? And then, and all the other parties that you're looking at doing as well? Because I know you've got, you know, old Ginger, 
new Leela Brown. Mm-hmm. Leela, that's it. Yeah, Leela Le- Brown. Leela yep. Brown. Yep. So explain to that, like, how do you how do you create a good event? <clears throat> good question, man. Well, first of all, it, it takes more than a DJ for sure. Uh, so shout out my business partner and homie from Toronto, Drew, who actually moved to Bali a year before me, who was here kind of like setting the groundwork, building a network, putting on some great parties, really building a good brand and reputation for himself. Um, and then, uh, so quick backstory, during COVID, there was like some restrictions that had wiggle room where you could have parties with very uh, restrictive um I don't know what the word is, but a lot of rules and regulations to have a party to the point where you can only sit down legally in the party. So anyways, he started doing parties at this one little place or two two small places like hole-in-the-wall spots in Toronto. And uh, he wanted to do some house nights. And for me, I was at a point where I had done one or two nightclub gigs, but I was just basically a bedroom DJ at the time. So he gave me a residency with like, I had no track record, nothing, just purely off the vibes. So we started doing this party and man, like it got, it got, it got to the point where like the, the party was so good that like Drake's crew OVO were pulling up and this is not a hip hop night. This is a house night. Mm. And I'm playing, there were nights that like the OVO guys would come to me. They're like, Hey, can you like put a little hip hop on? Like we're here vibe. I'm like, yo bro, I play house. That's yeah. what I do, you know? Yeah. And they just respected that. So like that to me, that like, gave me a sign that one, I'm confident in what I'm doing, of course, but two, like what I'm doing is like a vibe. To be honest, that was probably the most highest fucking request you could have ever got. I mean, like, a song request. Yeah, 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 <laughs> sure. And these guys are like, yo, it's like the man's from Toronto, you know? Like, it's, yeah. Like, some guys are like, hey, man, can I get a song? I was like, yo, you can put some hip hop kind of thing. So now everyone knows exactly what quality you have because usually an average DJ, DJ gets uh, like a song request from like some drunk white girl. Yeah. And you're getting a request from like Dead Drake's crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Anyways, so that's that's the nature of how Drake and I, Drake, uh, Drew and I started working together. He came out here, and then um, for a while it was just myself uh, doing shows all over the island, and him continuing to do his thing as a promoter. Um, but then the opportunity came to do this event at Miss Fish, and um, he came up with the name. She's with us, um, and together what we realized from that first party, we kind of have this formula now that we've put together. That's a combination of. Uh, good content, good social media presence, consistency on social media, um, good good guerrilla marketing, making sure we're outside in the scene, talking to people, rubbing shoulders with the right people, following up with the people that book tables, things like that. And then, of course, partnering with great venues and good operators. You know, all of these things are essentially, essentially in good ingredients to make uh, a good party. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think, when when you're trying to to launch something, albeit a business or, or a party, for example, you want to look for trends for sure, but you also want to look for and things that are already working and then repeat success. I mean, it makes sense. But then also things that um, room for opportunity where there's a lack. So, you know, there's seven days in a week. Mm-hmm. Bali's what we call a revolving door. There's new people every day. There's people that touch down on a Sunday that don't just want to go out on a Friday and a Saturday. They want to get it in for the whole seven days that they're here, right? So we saw a window of opportunity for a Tuesday where there was no, at least to my knowledge, no disrespect to any existing parties or anything like that. But no, you're 100%. Yeah. Because I, I, I've been saying this for a good solid four years here. Wow. I, I pitched the idea um, uh, pre-COVID to the lawn. 
And I said, Tuesdays, no one's doing anything. Mm. And we could just literally redo the same thing as Fridays. Because back then, Fridays were like the shit at the lawn. Yeah. And so when you guys told me that, and I was like, that's, dude, that's like, it's like, that's money right there, bro. Mm -hmm. So you guys picked the perfect fucking day. Yeah, man. So we just, we just jumped on it. We saw the window of opportunity. We launched. And that, um, again, helped us realize our formula to do more parties. So. You know, we've done other events in between, contracts come and go. Uh, the Tuesday really is a staple in Changu, in my opinion. It's a great them. party, quality crowd. I send all around my people there when they come. Yeah, respect, bro. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, then we have our Saturdays at Leela Brown, which is an earlier event. We do like an early dinner cabaret show that I DJ later on in the night. Um, and then we have a lot of other things in the works too. But to answer your question, a good event, a good event. I think is predicated on uh, partnering with a good venue, with good operators and good service, uh, the understanding of branding and marketing, because you know it takes a certain type of individual to come up with a cool name mm-hmm. and a cool idea and help give a designer a good vision for a logo and a good social media and and also a good uh, social media strategy and, and making good content too. Yeah, that's dope, bro. Sir. Yeah, and so um, let's basing off that. Like, I mean. You're running events, right? So you're now you're like you're really pursuing your career. You're really pursuing you wanting to not just DJ but produce music. Also, yeah. produce music means that you need to make music. Mm-hmm. You've done remixes. Yep. Are you working on like creating an album or something like that? What are you? Yeah. So I have uh, I've put out three singles in the last two years. Put out a single on uh, Beatport. Uh, it's called Away, featuring Jerusalem from Toronto. Much to my surprise, it went number one in, uh, I think, two categories on the Beatport charge. One was a hype, hype 10 something. Another one was like top 10 releases something. Didn't expect it at all because I was independent. Just went through DistroKid, no label. So that motivated me. Then I had a follow-up single called Taste It with a couple other artists. Then I had another one that I released with a Bali label called Suta, called Resistancia. Um, that did well. I think it went number 24, 25 on Afro charts on Beatport. So they've all done really well. Um, for some reason though, when I started doing these reworks and remixes, it started blowing up my SoundCloud. Like I had a SoundCloud at like 400 followers just in the last few months. It's now gone up to a thousand followers. And one of the remixes, the Kanye one, so mm-hmm. like, you know, like 8,000 streams, a thousand downloads, some shit like that. So I, I know that's spinning around the world, you know? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So to be honest, I've been allocating a lot of my time to these reworks and remix, remixes because not only can I release them, but I play them. Uh-huh. And they're pretty cool because people, it's like, I'll, I'll put like a nostalgic hip hop vocal on like a crazy Afro House song. Yeah. What Kanye West on this crazy black <laughs> coffee beat? Like what the fuck's going on, you know? So stuff like that. Um, but do, do you think, before you get into the butt, mm-hmm. do you think, uh, cause I know you're trying to build like your YouTube and stuff like, and like your other, like, you know, yeah. um, socials, do you think it would be a good idea because it's, that's blowing up the remixes. And I think to do a good remix is hard, right? Mm-hmm. And you've, you've, um, executed quite a good number of them, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think it'd be a good video to put on YouTube to help people go, hey, look, Hey, this is blown up. This is how I did it. And you kind of go through and give like the. The education, especially with your background of music, do you think that would be something that one, not only would it be great for other DJs, because everyone around the world is a DJ, right? Yeah. There's so many bedroom DJs, right? Crazy. But at the same time, you could in- intertwine that into playing that 
onto you know playing your actual music video on there like could, yeah. do you think that would be something that people would love to watch and learn from do you think yeah i mean i it's, it's a great idea i'm for sure gonna do it now because uh i told you i'm working with someone who's already been super successful on youtube who's helping guide me as i start to launch myself uh september this year putting out one set a week um aside from putting out live sets i was like what do i put in between and like I've tried so many times to do like vlogs and stuff like that, but I'm like, man, who wants to watch necessarily right now like a vlog of my lifestyle? But these how-to videos are huge. Mm. So to like, I, I can already imagine like the keyword search uh, benefit of like putting like how to make a remix in Ableton, yeah. how to make how to make a Drake remix, dude, that shit would blow up. Yeah, yeah. The vlogging thing though is important it, to a degree. This is how I picture picture things that would be like the best kind of balance. Yeah. Full send podcast, right? Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. When they do it, Kyle's always at the beginning. He's like, hey, yo, we're doing this, 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 this. And then they go straight into the podcast. For you doing your live streams, it gives that personality trait. I think that's important because you have a great personality. So, hey, yo, we're at Miss Fish tonight. She's with us. We're booked out, all tables out. Come in and enjoy the set. And then someone comes in, does the B roll, bang, and then it goes that's into sick. it. I love that. And then that's, that's sick. And then it's you. And then it's all you DJing and think. So you get a little context at the end. Yo, had so much good time. Yeah. Have, I don't know, have like, you know, some people with you. But like, hey, what do you think about the set? Yeah, it was good. This is this, whatever. And then that's it. Thank you. Like, I love it. Yeah. Super simple. Okay. So you're saying that should be separate from the live set itself? Okay. No, you can mix it in with it. Oh, cool. Because the live set doesn't really have to be a live set. You can have it recorded. Of course. Because then you don't, because then it's easier, right? Like, guys. It's better to like do like a, like it's better to do like a post-production, right? That you can actually play around in the beginning, right? So when you like, instead of doing live stream, everyone does live stream, but who is going to be up at this time of night? If you could just record it, make it a production, it's like an extra hour's work, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I and then agree. you can, and then you can put it up. So you're still recording the live stream, like the live, yeah, live yeah, set, hundred percent. Yeah. But it gives you time to be able to then agree. produce it just a little bit to give you you right to give Brody and have like the little intro so yeah, I mean, I love that's it. that's the kind of thing that i look at yeah. cool into it yeah yeah and also combining the post-production and pre-production so you prepare everything yeah yeah it's not better than yeah exactly i feel like joe rogan now yeah i'm like, I'm like talking to jamie yeah. <laughs> shout out ricky <laughs> keeping it real yeah authentic yeah yeah okay cool man so it's okay so but ah the butt i knew you're gonna come back to me with the butt and two minutes ago i was like I the butt. <laughs> what was it sorry the album album oh yeah so outside of the the remixes and the reworks uh i have a couple eps in the works two tracking eps and i have a single that's coming out on a huge label based out of miami called hurry up slowly which in my opinion could really start to change things because i think what really changes the trajectory, if you will, of a DJ is putting out music. Mm -hmm. You got to put out good music, you know, otherwise you're kind of just a DJ that just, you just play, you know, and, and people may book you because they hear you're a good DJ, but if they know you're a DJ with a hot song out that's potentially done well on some charts or a, a, a reputable record label has released it with or is co-signing it or another big DJ is co-signing the record that you put, you put out yep. by playing it, that really changes things. It adds value. Your rate goes up. So 
I'm ridiculously excited to release on this label because again, they're super hot. Everybody's talking about them. A lot of big artists are working with them. So doing that more regularly is uh, a huge priority for me. But um, congrats, bro. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, that's that's a very important thing because tell me what cover band that has become worldwide. Uh, Zip, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so people forget that like, if you're going to become a DJ, you still need to produce your own shit. Like you need to have your own sound, your own yeah. vibe, your brand. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to do it, then you're just going to be doing like weddings for the rest of your life. Yeah. Which cool. If that makes you happy, then sweet. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do a day job. You get to do that shit. Like you get people dance. So kudos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, are you just doing like making music for a job or are you just trying to actually make people move with your own essence? Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful thing to actually think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agree. And especially like, especially like mobilize. Like, I'm here in Bali. Bali's home now. I plan to like really ground my feet uh, inside Bali and build a strong foundation. But like, every everywhere that you go has like a roof, like a ceiling. You know, like it's limitations. You know, I'm I'm not gonna make the money I want to make just doing the Changu circuit play. You know, so how do I break out of that? It's gonna be great, consistent content, putting it out regularly, so more people internationally see me and putting out music on reputable labels, maybe potentially having my own label um, and having other DJs play the shit that I put out. So alas, here we are, grinding. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. So so let's um, let's finish on this. This has been an amazing talk show, bro. Amazing. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about where you wanna go. Like what's, what's your vision? Because I really think people don't like to talk about where they want to be and yeah. you know, and I'm pretty sure you're living it right now, but like, where is your, where do you want to go? You say that five to 10 years, you hope you make it. I know you are, mm -hmm. but let's talk about 20 years. Where, where do you want to be? Like what impact do you want to have on the music industry? People in general, in the crowd, listen to your music. Like, like where do you want to be with this? Wow. 20 years. Like it's super hard to think of that, to be honest. And I've, I've never even really thought about 20 years. Mm -hmm. It's totally unrelated to, to, to music, but I, I would love to have a healthy, maybe it's cliche, I know, but a healthy functioning family, seeing the legacy live on. For sure, that would be a 20 year uh, focus. People like kids thriving in like their respective spaces that are passionate to them. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm so hyper-focused on, on right now, bro, and like the, the interim. It's hard to think that far, but I, I do have one thing that maybe is a gem for anybody watching. Uh, so there's someone that, is, again, is helping me structure how I put out my content and everything, and he's been wildly successful already. And he said it's important to have a North Star. And the North Star is something that you see from afar, lighting up, it's beaming up bright. It's where you ultimately want to be. And in this case, when it comes to a goal, what he suggested the North Star is, is an actual person that's doing what you want to do is at the level you want to be. So there's someone that I've picked to be a North Star. I mean, I'm, I'm vacillating a little bit, but I have a good idea now that I've kind of like done some, some, some homework and sat with it a bit. But ultimately, I think my goal right now is that uh, the music industry is pretty cutthroat and pretty political, and I don't want to be at the mercy of it in the long run. I don't want to be at a point now where like I'm relaxing at home if I potentially have like a couple kids or like my girls at home or whatever to be forced to go on the road when I don't feel like it. Yeah. So if I can manage to build something sustainable 
online, albeit a YouTube passive income, TikTok following that I make money from sponsorships. I'm not sure what that looks like right now. I'm thinking about it a lot these days, but I'd love to create something that is mine so that uh, my six, like life isn't predicated on the gatekeepers of the industry. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking a lot about that these days because um, for sure I want to mobilize and get on the road um, and start doing more shows abroad and stuff like that. But I don't want that to be life forever. I don't want like success and lifestyle and decisions and choices to be again predicated on um, whether or not I'm getting booked. Mm-hmm. If this this record label a like record label owner likes me or this booker likes me or I posted something this booker does and I did something this booker does and they don't book me kind of thing like I don't I don't want such a volatile lifestyle mm-hmm. situation. So um, I know I'm like I'm I I have quite the journey ahead of me. But again, for me, it's like well, what else am I going to do? You know, head back to Toronto and launch a marketing business? <laughs> like no way, bro. I'm knee deep. I've seen the fruits of my labor come to fruition and 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 obvious success in what I'm passionate about. If I'm going through an adverse time, like that's life, bro. And you know, you push on and, and do your thing. Hope that answers the question. Bro, that answers the question 100%. Sick, sick, <laughs> good. Well, let's cheers that, man, because this is, uh, that's, I'm going to end on that note because it's a really special one. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Much love everybody watching. So thank you so much for coming on, bro. Thank you. I learned a lot definitely about you. And I learned a lot about the music industry, which is amazing. And I can't wait to see you absolutely blow up and, and you get to that North Star. So thanks again, bro, for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. I, I really like the the aspect of the show where you were confident and comfortable enough to like challenge something that I said. And we were able to like um, harmoniously like navigate our way through it and, and get the middle ground and, and see each other's point. Mm. Super dope. So much love Good. to you. Like and subscribe. <laughs> Next show, I'm here. I'm co-signing it. Let's go. Thanks, bro. Okay, thank you guys for joining. Make sure you do exactly what Brody said. Like and subscribe. Go check out everything about him down below. And we shall see you guys on the next episode with the next story about tequila and the next story about our special guests. Adios. Ciao.